As you're being seated, turn to Romans 14, Romans chapter 14. As I prepared in this text this week, the thing that kept kind of coming back to me is spiritual maturity. And uh, just uh, that should be our goal, right? The older we get. We never fully figure it all out, do we, in the Christian life? Eight inside, 13 down just a little bit. Um, We never fully figure it out. We never arrive. The smartest, most biblical knowledge person, the most loving person, the most faithful person, there's still maturing we can do until we go to be with the Lord, I think. Because at the moment we say, you know what, I've pretty much got it figured out, that's a sure sign we don't have it figured out. (laughs) And so... Spiritual maturity is, should be a goal for every Christian in this room. And again, every one of us, from the preacher to every one of us, can still grow in the area of spiritual maturity. And we do that through the Word and through applying the Word to our daily lives. Thanks, Dad. And Romans 14, we're going to try to look quickly, if we can, at the whole chapter today, in a sense. I won't hit every single line, and so there might be things you want to talk about later, and that's, we can do that. But I am going to try to give a good overview of this chapter. Um, and in the chapter, Paul is, the Apostle Paul is really calling for this, for this unity in the church in Rome. He's writing to say, hey, y'all need to be unified, and here are a few things that I, I, I've heard are distracting you or causing uh, division. And he gives them a few examples, and he challenges them to love and care for one another. If I can summarize this chapter, it's this. Love and care for one another in the church, and especially being patient with one another on non-essential matters. So I'm going to say that several times today, but anything that's not the gospel or that's not plainly spelled out in the Bible, we should be understanding with each other if we have some different opinions on things or different things we want to do about it. And I'll kind of explain that as we go. So let's read. We're just going to read the first nine verses. But if you found Romans 14.1, say words. Y'all ready? Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believes that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs or just vegetables. That's tough. Verse 3. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteems one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. I love these verses here. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. 
Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ both died and rose again and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. I'm going to break this down for you this morning in kind of a 3-2-1 format. The first thing is, we're going to see, he, he points out here three non-essential matters, three things that can be disputed, that can be discussed, that Christians can even disagree on some of these things and yet still be in fellowship one with another. And the three things he mentioned, and again, these are going to apply very specifically to his day and time. This is 2,000 years ago, right? They had a very different lives than we do now in many ways. And so a lot of these things will be cultural to them, but they certainly can apply also to us. I hope I'll show you that through this. The first thing we see in verses 2 and 3 is he talks about, and you, you heard me mention it, but people that eat all things in verse 2 and some who just eat vegetables. That's tough, isn't it? Uh, I used to eat, um, well, I'll, I'll get to that later. The first thing I put up there is food, and, and, and that's kind of simplistic, but the idea here is that there are some people in Paul's day who were still holding very closely to the, their Old Testament dietary restrictions, right? And they, that was their thing. That, was a, that became a big deal. It became a big deal and, and because as they held to those restrictions, they wanted everyone else to hold to those restrictions too, right? So they might look down on someone who didn't hold to the same food restrictions they did. I thought about this, and I, I think I've mentioned this to you all before, but I'm sure you've forgotten by now. Five or six years ago, probably, after church on Sunday night, I was walking from my house, uh, from the church back to our house. We live close to the church, and um, I got a text from a friend of mine. He's a deacon in his church, been in his church. That he's been in the same church his whole life, you know, and a very, I think, an intelligent, biblical knowledge guy. And he said, I'm, I'm very, he texted me, he said, I'm very frustrated. I said, what's going on? He said, my preacher told me I could not eat steak with blood in it. And I, I was like, like, you know, does he get his well done? He's like, yeah, he just eats his steak well done. And he said from the pulpit, we should only eat our steaks well done. And I said, I used to eat my steak well done, too. Then I got saved. And then, you know, but just kidding. But now I like it. I like some red in it. But and so I told him, I said, look, your pastor is holding on to some Old Testament stuff. And here's what I said. In the New Testament, we have freedom to eat different things. Right. And so you enjoy your steak there. He, you know, he does enjoy his steak. I'll leave it at that. Um, but let me, let me illustrate this another way that I think might maybe help understand their culture, right? Imagine this, and this is kind of wild, but imagine between here and Columbus, there's a cult. There might be, I don't know. But imagine there is. And they have a farm, and they raise livestock, okay? So go with me on this illustration. And they, they sacrifice the animals to some, let's just make it up, the god of Jupiter, a planet, a god of the planet Jupiter, okay? That, that's their god. And they sacrifice their animals to these planet gods. But then they take the meat and they sell it to the local market. Let's just pretend there's a local market right over here. They sell it to the local market. The local market sells the meat. And beside the meat, they put a sign that says, this meat was sacrificed to the god Jupiter or whatever. Now, if I walk in that market and I'm looking for meat and the meat looks good and the price is good, here's the question for you. Would you buy the meat that's been sacrificed to the god of Jupiter? And you can answer yes or no. It doesn't matter. Whatever you want to answer. If it looks good and the price is good, I'd buy the meat. Why? Why would we buy the meat? First of all, we don't believe in the God. You know, the God of Jupiter is the God of the Bible, right? <laughs> so we only believe in one, one true God. But 
here's the idea. If you did buy that meat and you took it home and you invited over a family to eat dinner with you and they were like, ooh, we can't eat that kind of meat. Is that the meat from the store that was sacrificed? Yeah, we can't eat that kind of meat. You wouldn't then shove it down their throats, would you? Okay, that's fine. You know, you can have something else. You can just have vegetables. Um, that's kind of an illustration of what's going on here. And we see that over uh, in other parts of the New Testament as well where there's these, these restri- dietary restrictions and people kind of judging one another on these things. Okay? The second one, there's so much more we could say. There could be a whole sermon. But the second one is these sacred days. Look at verses 5 and 6. He talks about some men, some people esteem one day greater than another. And he says, let everyone be persuaded in his own mind. And he says in verse 6, the main thing here is that the day you esteem that you do it to the Lord. And, and, the, and he says the thing that you eat that you do it to the Lord. And so what I want to say about the sacred days here, of course, we know the Jews have the Sabbath day, which is Saturday, right? I'm amazed at how many Christians don't know that, you know, the Sabbath is Saturday. And we worship not on the Sabbath, but on the Lord's day. And y'all know why, right? Jesus rose on the first day of the week. And the early disciples seem to meet, if you read the scripture, it's a pattern of the early church to meet on the first day of the week for worship. And that's why we meet on the first day of for worship, because of that. We could decide as a church, we want to meet on Saturday. We could, we're not going to do that, but we could if we wanted to. But we're going to meet on the Lord's day. That's the pattern we see set forth in, in early scripture and in early church. So that's what we do. But at the same time, if someone wants to meet on another day, I'm not going to, you know, criticize them. We're going to meet on the Lord's day. Therefore, our church is going to do it. Some say, he says there, some say every day is the Lord's day. And that's true too, right? I mean, every day is the Lord's. And so there's these different ways to look at it. The third one here, he mentions, he mentions this briefly as wine in verses 17 and verse 21. When he says basically some drink, uh, some will drink this and some will not. And the more I looked into this, I don't think this is even people abstaining from wine because of intoxicating principles. I think it was about kind of like the food. I think this wine was associated with pagan religion, but it could be either way. Either way, there are people who abstain from wine, and there are people who would partake of the wine. Now, this leads me to just think about some non-essential issues in our day. And I listed a bunch. I'm only going to give you a few. But let me give you some non These are disputables. These are things that we should still fellowship with one another even if we disagree on these things. Are you all with me? Here's one biblical one, and it's a very simple biblical one, is end times events. That's a hard topic. And in all actuality, we don't know 100% for sure how everything in the end times are going to fall. fall. There's pre-trib. There's post-trib. There's mid-trib. Someone came up with a thing called pre-wrath. There's all these millennial, millennial things. There's so many different theories and ideas. And if we have disagreements on those, we should not, that should not break our fellowship. Does that make sense? Here's another one. How about uh, even the way we dress? Some people like to dress real nice on Sundays and wear their dresses or their, you know, Nick always looks sharp. I'll brag on him. Um, some people, you're just happy to get here, right? So you're throwing on whatever you're trying to get here. I do believe we should dress modestly. I do believe we should dress for the Lord. But I've got friends right now in other countries, other states, who are wearing jeans and T-shirts, and they're worshiping the Lord just like I am. And so my, here's my point. However you want to dress, don't look down on the other person for how they dress. Either way, right? She dressed too nice today. Well, don't look down on her. That's, that's her prerogative. Or, or he didn't dress, you know, whatever. I got some new stories on that one. I'll just keep going. Um, music, right? Some people love a full band, a full orchestra. Some people are stuck with just a guitar. Sorry. Um, 
but some people love different types of songs. Some people like to sing off the screen. Some people still love the, the hymn book. And does any of that really matter in a big picture? Is any of that gospel material? Is any of that a reason to break our fellowship? But you know what's crazy? Those very things I just mentioned have broken fellowship in many churches, especially the musical, right? So should our music honor the Lord? Yes. Should our dress honor the Lord? Yes. Should our ability, should our end times beliefs as we seek to figure out the truth honor the Lord? Yes. But these are disputed matters that aren't completely gospel-centered and aren't completely spelled out. So as I said there, Christians and churches get in trouble when we focus too much on non-essential issues. And what I found through my experience is that we spend more time on the non-essentials than the essentials as, a, as churches. We, one preacher said this years ago, and I've always remembered this. He said, we need to major on the major and minor on the minor. And I've been a part of so many churches and talked to so many Christians who, who major on the minor and worry about all these other things. And the, and the point is this, do we know and love the Lord and do we know and love other people? Uh, are we doing those things? So that's kind of the issues in a nutshell. We can go on and on about all these issues, but that's the ones he mentions here. So this definitely applies to us, right? This de- these definitely apply to us because we, maybe it's just me, we tend to judge other people when they do things different than the way we think they should be done. And sometimes we're right. Sometimes they're breaking Scripture. They're completely against what God's Word says. And we're right to kind of say, that's not right. Rebuke and correction, right, is a biblical principle we should have in a church. But at the same time, I think we swing too far to judging others uh, on these types of issues. So that's the three, three non-essential issues. Let's look at the two, and that's two distinct groups. He mentions two groups of Christians here, and at times, everyone in this room, if you're a Christian, you fall into probably one of these, one of these two categories. Um, and, and again, I think Paul had heard and knew that these folks had this going on, and so he talks about these people. Look at verse 1. He says, him that is weak in faith, receive. So the first group of people um, are the weak in faith. And so we're going to talk about these people for a minute. These are the people that hold very strictly to traditions um, which to me shows their faith in Christ, their trust in the gospel at, to some level is weak, and so they hold to other things more tightly than they hold to Christ. Does that make sense? That's that person that says, you know, this thing here, whatever it is, let's just use music, for example, this type of music, I have to have this to worship God, and everyone else should worship in the same kind of music I like, for example. This is that person, they're weak in faith because they're holding to other things more than they're holding to Christ. And I would say across every church, we're all in danger of doing this. We're all in danger of grasping other things more than we grasp Christ if we're not careful. These, these weak in faith may have been some of the Jewish Christians that were kind of holding on to some of those Old Testament things, but nonetheless, look what they did. They abstained from eating meat. These are the ones in verse 2 and 3 that didn't eat the meat because it was sacrificed to the idol, and they thought that was, was something. The second thing is they emphasize their sacred days. They're big on, hey, this is the day for this, this is the day for fasting, this is the day for this, and if you don't worship like we do, you're wrong. Then the second one is they abstain from the wine, as we mentioned earlier. So all three issues that he brought out, the weak in faith, um, they are very uh, strict 
and they want to judge others who differ from them. Look, there are some things I'm strong, I feel strongly about, and many of you do too, but unless it's gospel-centered or plainly spelled out in Scripture, we should not try to ram those things down other people's throats, right? Should we have conversations about things? Yes, that's awesome. We can talk about anything. Hey, some of y'all don't, are not able to make it on Wednesday nights, but we have some good discussions out there, don't we? I mean, the other day we had a we talked for a long time about you know this topic of alcohol and things of that matter, and just you know, and we're just we just be open, we we're just open and honest with each other a lot of times, or I try to be out there, and we just have good discussions, and so um, that's a good thing. It's it's good to talk about beliefs and try to flesh things out, and but the goal here and the problem here is that we Christians in this sense, tend to condemn those who do not follow their rules. Hear it again. The weak Christians tend to condemn those who do not follow their rules. I don't see how the missionary would say this. A lot of preachers are this person. They just are. A lot of longtime church members are this person. They're Christians, by the way. These people are believers. They are saved. And I'm sure they have some up and ups and downs like we all do. But they clearly hold to some man-made or some disputable matters in such a way that, that Paul says they are weak in faith. And I don't know about you, I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> I don't want Paul to say, man, he's weak in faith. He holds to these other things. And he condemns others and he judges others for these things. I don't want to be that guy. So let's look at the second one. The second group, if the first one is the weak, you know who the second one is, right? It's the strong. And of course, you see there, verse 2, they eat all kinds of food. Um, that's most of us probably. Uh, they do not make any distinctions on days. Um, they, and they, um, the strong, yeah, the strong drink wine. The strong in this text, you know, did not abstain from the wine because of any reasons, and of course we know, right, it's a sin to be drunk. We know that's, that's why I put in moderation up there, that's a sin, and we should not abuse anything that God has given us, and that's what a lot of people do, but we should not do that. Uh, this is not that sermon today. Um, but the strong, watch this, the strong in faith are those who understand fully what the Bible is and is not descriptive about. So this is what I said about reaching that spiritual maturity, the, the strong in faith, are, I think, are closer to a biblical understanding of what the Bible is and is not descriptive about. And I think that's an important place that we all want to get to. And I say this a lot, but what does the Bible say? A church member texted me, I guess it was maybe last weekend, might have been last Sunday afternoon, and asked me a question. And my first response was, what does the Bible say? Right? Because I wanted that person to think about, before I give them an answer, my answer, well, what's the Bible say? And I hope my answer is, what does the Bible say? And so we want to reach this point of being strong in faith in a sense of growing in spiritual maturity that we can see the difference between our traditions and man-made stuff and the true biblical truth about stuff. Does that make sense? I hope it does. So do you think Paul sides with the weak in faith, or do you think he's strong, sides with the strong in faith? I think in principle... He sides with the strong in faith. I see that in verse 14. He says, I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. 
there's so much we could dive into here, but we're just not doing it. Sorry. In these, in these verses. Um, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. So let's get down to verse 20. He says, For meat destroy not the work of God. All things are indeed pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. I think in principle, Paul sides with the strong in faith. But the point of this text, I think, is him talking to those people who are strong in faith. He's talking to those who are strong in faith who probably have a better outlook than the others. And he says, you also should not condemn those who are kind of following their own ways. Because the strong tend to do that. I tend to do that as well. I'll see someone kind of stuck in their ways and say, I can't believe he believes that or I can't believe she does that. And so if, you, if the first part of the sermon you were kind of thinking negatively about the other person, then you were breaking the command for what this person does. <laughs> and again, I think we're all guilty. What does this look like in our lives? I want you to see, see this. What does this condemning, critical attitude look like? And I've given you several things here. It can just be anger towards someone. It can be, if you'll put the slide up there, it can be anger towards someone. It can be rolling our eyes at someone. That's something simple, but shaking our head at them, looking down on others. Do we do that? I, I'm tempted to do that, being honest. It's based on some people's beliefs. Mocking others. Um, feelings of superiority. That's a dangerous thing for people who get close to God because we see others not being close to God, and it makes us feel maybe a little superior, but we shouldn't feel that way. That should make us more humble to be close to God. But, and then constantly arguing. Again, is it good to discuss and debate? That's great. But are you constantly trying to argue down on people? Paul says in this text, and we didn't read all the verses, but he says here that the strong in faith are responsible to lead the church to, toward peace. We are responsible if we're strong in, in faith to lead the church toward peace and not to, not to bring harm. As a matter of fact, the point of 13 through 23, the point of that whole section is that we don't want to cause the weaker brother to stumble. You've probably heard things like that before. But as a Christian, we don't want to cause the weaker, uh, as I said there, spiritual harm. And that's kind of the point. We don't want to be, as verse 13 says, a, and you all heard this, right? It says, let us not therefore judge one another, but judge th this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. None of us, want to cause a stumbling block for other believers, do we? That's why if you come to my house and I've got the meat sacrificed to idols and you say I'm not comfortable eating that, I'll say, I'll just put it away, that's fine. You know, no big deal, right? So we don't want to cause others to stumble as best we can help it. I think the hard thing about that is we have enough time causing our own selves not to stumble, <laughs> you know? So we got to get to that point first and at the same time make sure we're not causing others to stumble. We said this the other day. No, I'm not going to say it. I shouldn't even say it. Here's what we do. I'll say it. I'm going to say it this way. Here's what we do. Okay, I'll just say it. Here's what we do. We, we criticize or look down or judge people. And this is Christians now. But then we justify it by saying, I'm really helping that person. Or I'm really, you know, I'm so right and they're so wrong. And we justify don't we? The way we judge other people. I mean, like, you know, I'm a preacher. I can judge them, right? Well, maybe not. Not if they're not, you know, really breaking some commandment or some in some wrong way. And so don't we need to make sure we're not justifying our criticism. And we do that. I think we do that. We need to remember this, too. And, and the scripture tells us here in this text. It said in verse 
um, is verse 9. I'm sorry, verse 8. Look at the last four words of verse 8. What's that say? We are who? Whose? The Lord's. We're the Lord's. And if we are all Christians, assuming we are all Christians here, we may not be, some may not know Christ, but if you're a Christian, and my fellow Christians over here, I'm the Lord's, but whose is he? He's also the Lord's. And I must see him or her as a fellow believer, as someone who belongs to the Lord, and someone that the Lord can work out things in their life, right? And so instead of judging that person or looking down on them or feeling like I'm better than them, why not pray that God would help them in whatever they're dealing with? They are the Lord's too. Do we believe God can work in someone's life and can help them? Yes. Listen, I, I said this as well. There is a place, of course, for rebuke and correction in the church. Uh, but this text, is that's not what this text is about. I mean, if someone comes up here and says, you know, comes to our church and says, you must do this to be saved, right? If someone comes to church and says, you must be baptized in water to be saved, then I would dispute that, right? If someone says, you must speak in tongues to be saved, I would dispute that biblically. And we would, be, we would adamantly dispute that. And we would, we would offer them rebuke and correction, wouldn't we, as a church? And there's, there's other things like that. But this text is about those things that aren't about salvation. These lesser issues, these non-essential issues. Well, let me go to my, my one. We have three issues, two groups of people, and one main goal. Paul's main goal here is to bring about peace and mutual uplifting, mutual edification of the body of Christ. Do you see that? If you've read this chapter before, I think that kind of stands out to you. He wants these people, because if you remember two weeks ago, we were in 13 talking about loving each other. And this, by the way, what we see in 14 is going to continue next week as well. Paul is very serious that he wants the church to be a place of peace, and not just a place of peace in the sense of, let me say it this way. I once was talking to someone at a church, and the man told me, he said, I've been here 30 years there's never been one argument in a business meeting or one serious discussion in a business meeting. And I was like, is that even a good thing? Maybe y'all, have y'all tried to do anything? And I wasn't there long until they had some, <laughs> had that record got broke when I was the pastor. But, but uh, it did. That's, that's a true story. That's funny. I should write a book. Okay. But here's my point. That was peace for the sake of peace. I actually talked to this man further about that later. Like, that was peace because nobody ever did anything or said anything. They wouldn't do anything, so there's no reason to have any discussion or issues. But if you're, if you're trying to serve the Lord, there could become things that need to be discussed and maybe even debated and talked about. That's just how it is. At the same time, we desire peace and building each other up. And so I'm going to give you a few ways here that we can promote peace and build each other up. A few ways, and these all, I believe, come right from this text. Number one, accept one another. Look at verse one. Him that is weak in faith, receive him. That word receive doesn't mean just to let them be a member of your church. It means to welcome someone in, like with open arms. That you will receive them as part of your family. That you will love them and care for them. And so if someone in, our, in your church comes and you just like, I just don't like the things they think or the things they believe in some ways. He says here, receive them. Accept them. Number two. 
Honor the Lord in all you do. Verse 6. Again, I mentioned this in verse 6. He's talking about what you eat and the days, the sacred days here. Do it unto the Lord. Look, here's my view on all these things. If you want to have one guy stand up here and sing with a hymn book, do it to the honor of the Lord. And I'm fine with it. I, I used to be different. I've changed. But if you want to, we can have a whole band up here. But as long as it's honoring the Lord and we can hear the people singing and it's biblical songs, I'm good with it. We can have an orchestra. I'd be good with it if it's honoring the Lord. Um, and so are we honoring the Lord in all that we do? And all these mosquito masks. And, and again, we talked about eating and drinking. Are you honoring the Lord in all that you do? If we're focused on honoring God in all we do, we will have less time to judge others for what they do. If we are honoring God in what we do, we will have less time to judge others for what they do. I, would, I want you to ask yourself right now, how am I doing in this area? Am I honoring Christ with my life? Am I taking his worship serious and my life of Christ, my Christian life serious? Am I loving people like I should? Does my attitude, now this is a big one, right? Think, don't think about Sunday morning. We're all doing pretty good this morning as far as our attitude. Y'all look like you have a good attitude this morning mostly. I'm talking about tomorrow morning at work or at school or wherever you're going or just this afternoon with the family. Is your attitude going to honor the Lord? That's hard. That's harder, right? Are we honoring him in what we do? And our attitudes, our words, our actions. Number three, again, we said this earlier, but remember whose we are. Not just who we are, but whose we are. We are the Lord's. That verse, that text, 7 through 9, I love it. It talks in verse 9 about Christ dying and, and, and rising again. And when Jesus died and rose again for, the, for sinners like us, he, he put a stamp on his lordship. When Jesus rose again, it was a stamp that Jesus Christ is Lord. If he would not have rose again, he would have just been another dead person, right? But by coming back to life after giving his life for us, it, he's, it, it said, right, Jesus, the early church motto was Jesus is Lord. If he is Lord, what's that make us? Followers, servants. We are his. He's the king, right? And we're the servants. We need to remember we belong to him. And if we belong to him, that should really matter in our everyday lives. It should matter, shouldn't it? In our everyday lives. And, and so our faith, watch this. this my, somebody might need this this morning. Our faith is about lordship, not about legalistic rules. I want to be a church of following Christ as Lord, not promoting legalistic rules. I was talking to a friend last night. His church was going through a hard time. And, and after church staff and all this stuff going on, and really the church was about to be split. It's a pretty big church, about to be split over some different things. And he began to tell me about just different people's views and different people's, the way people are treating each other, talking each other down, and just, he even told me, like, this so-and-so said this, and like, you're giving me too much information. But I said, man, I said, that's sad. Now, I was thinking about the sermon, right? I said, that's sad, but it seems like some of those folks are so focused on their own way that they're missing the Lord's way. They're so focused on legalism and things they think everyone else should do like them that they're not even following Christ. 
And I said, man, I don't want to. I'll take it a step further. I kind of refuse to be a part of a church like that anymore. I kind of just refuse. Like we, and as best we can, we need to encourage each other to drop legalistic tendencies, which means to say we think these other things will get us to heaven. We think these other things are where it's at. And we need to put our attention into Christ and serving him and following him and helping other people follow him better. And I need help with that. I think we all do. Remember whose we are. Number four, remember we will all stand before God. Did you notice? Well, we didn't read it earlier. Let's look at 10 through 12. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, the judgment seat is where believers will go. There is also the great white throne judgment for unbelievers. But believers will go to the judgment seat of Christ. We see that. In 2 Corinthians 5, by the way, he says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So we see that in Scripture. Verse 11, for it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess to God. So then, every one of us shall give account of himself to God. I think he mentions this to remind us, God is the ultimate judge of people. It's not our place in the sense we're talking about this morning, to be the judge of these issues, if, if they need to be judged, let's let the judge be the judge. Let the Lord be the judge. And he says here, he, he promises us, and this includes us too, we will stand before the Lord. We will give an account of things we've done in our body, whether good or bad, according to uh, Corinthians. And so we need to remember that and let that just kind of be a, a reminder of promoting peace and edification that, yeah, we all will be accountable before God. Number five, Oh, this is good. We need to walk in love. The strong believer should help the weaker believer by not flaunting their freedom and by simply being a person of, of love. You know what's more important than eating meat just the way you want to eat it? You know what's more important than setting aside sacred days? Like, like by the way, does the Bible tell us we should worship a special thing on Christmas Day? It doesn't tell us that. By the way, the Bible doesn't even tell us to have an Easter service. We just do it, but really. But So what's more important than setting aside certain days? What's more important than eating meat or drinking or not drinking the, the wine or whatever he mentioned there? Here's, here's what's more important than all these issues. You ready? Love people. Sound kind of simple, right? Love people. Are you walking in the greatest sign of spirituality is sincere genuine love for others if i mean some people want to see miracles that's great you know you know god does a great work that's great some people want to be bible experts that's amazing i love that we should want to know as much as we can about the bible but remember in first corinthians what paul said if i could do all these things and i have not love what did he say i am nothing we spend more time sometimes worrying about others' shortcomings than loving others. Am I going to love my brother and my sister in Christ enough that I'll do all I can to not cause them to stumble? A good Christian in a good church. I said this to my friend last night about his situation at their church. A good Christian in a good church is not a group of people who pretends everything is all right and they're perfect people, Right? We don't pretend that here. We're not going to do that. But when it comes to secondary issues or tertiary issues, you know, not the most important things, the other things, we need to accept 
and love one another. With love. Number six. We've already talked a lot about this, but reject legalism. This is verses 14 through 17. Flip to the next slide, please. Um, reject legalism. Again, I've used this example already, but um, if you want to sit as we worship, you can sit. If you want to stand, you can stand. Again, you want to sing loud, that's fine. You want to sing quiet, that's fine. You want more instruments, whatever. But we can't get to the point where we think our own view must be pushed on everyone else. That it's not a clear biblical concept. Okay? And so um, the kingdom of God is not that everyone would be like Kelby. <laughs> right? That's not the goal of the kingdom of God. The goal of the kingdom of God is that everyone would be like who? Christ. All of us. And it's going to look different because we're all different in some ways. But we should not put our own self on others in that way. Number seven, um, and this is the last one. The last way that we can promote peace and edification in the church is to live by faith. Hey, did I forget about this? Okay. Live by faith. Flip to verse 23, our last verse. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And I may have said that this is a whole other sermon, this last few verses here, but, but this verse to me is a wonderful kind of a check on our tendency to justify ourselves in different areas. If you're doing something in your life and you're worried about it, you're stressed out about it, you know, I don't know if this is right or not. But if you stress about it, you worry about it, your conscience is kind of beating at you about it, then that might be God showing you that you're not doing this thing by faith. If I can't do it by faith, what's that verse say in verse 23? Whatever is not of faith is sin. So I think this, just to say this very simply, verse 23 is a check on our tendency to justify ourselves on things we do in our lives that we permit that we may not be sure about something's troubling you um, again that's a matter of prayer but anything not of faith is is sin he says let me close with one quote i hope you've got the main before i give you the quote and you obviously already but the main point of today is you might be the weaker brother in areas where you think these are my ways and everyone else should do them. You might be the stronger brother in ways and think, I, I see a pretty clear picture in the Bible, but I'm also judging them because of uh, what they hold to. Either way, we should ask God to help us not to be judgmental on our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I like this quote from Augustine, who's a fourth century, one of the greatest church fathers of all time, wrote so many things that, that have affected our beliefs today. And this may not be a perfect quote, but it can help us, I think summarize today in essentials unity right we believe in one god the bible is the word of god salvation by grace through faith jesus lived a perfect life he was the son of god he died a, sin, a death for sinners he rose again literally phys, rose again physically he will one day come back um, there's a few others but those are essentials and those we must as a church be unified in non-essentials what's the word liberty we have to remember that, that in non-essentials, some of these other secondary things, we have freedom in Christ. I would 
I think we would say most of us don't know the freedom we have in Christ because of things we've been taught or because of ways we've lived so long. But there's a freedom we have in Christ. And number three, the essential is unity and the non-essential is liberty in all things charity. Just to love each other. If we are fellow believers, to let love be our resounding sound, resounding mark. Love covers a lot of faults, doesn't it? Love allows us, and again, even in our small church, people are different, have different likes, different dislikes, different things we do, and but yet we can still come together and love one another, promote peace and edification and righteousness and hope. So let's uh, think about these things as we close here or have a time of prayer here. Would you bow? And would you just take a moment in whatever way this sermon may have spoke to you and just, just a minute and just pray about whatever it is the Lord maybe has impressed upon your heart.